The sermon text this morning comes from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23 and going to verse 35. Following the reading of Scripture, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will repay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay back everything I owe. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Praise be to God. Today, many people have given up on the idea of forgiveness. Cancel culture, political polarization, along with many other factors, have allowed people to stop forgiving. We've been going through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today we've come to the Lord's Prayer, the fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I would like us to ask two questions about this text. First, why do you need forgiveness? Second, How can you forgive? First, why do you need it? Second, how can you give it? Why do you need it? How can you give it? Along the way, I would like to share with you, not only from this passage, but other stories in the Bible of people who have found a way to forgive. I would also like to share with you a few stories of people outside the Bible following Christ who have found a way to forgive. Elizabeth Elliot who found a way to forgive those who murdered her husband, wrote this about forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is unconditional laying down of the self. This includes the desire for vindication, pleasure at the other person's humiliation, keeping accounts of evil, the right to an apology, and bringing every thought under obedience to Christ. I would define forgiveness as giving up the right to revenge, giving up the right to get even. From the very beginning of the Bible, it is clear that you and I need forgiveness. After Genesis 3 and the fall of Adam, which plunged the entire human race into sin, Abel and Cain both offer to the Lord a sacrifice. But Abel's sacrifice, which is a blood sacrifice, a blood offering of a lamb, is accepted by the Lord and Cain's sacrifice is not. It shows us that we need forgiveness to be cleansed of our sin. Abraham is commanded to slay his son Isaac in the book of Genesis. A ram is provided as a substitute, but again, the point is that you and I need to be cleansed of sin. We are sinful and need to be cleansed. The book of Genesis also has something to say about our need to forgive other people. The story of Joseph. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. He spends many years in, the, in Egypt. Towards the end of the story, his brothers come back to him begging for forgiveness. He not only finds a way to forgive, but finds a way to be reconciled to them. He says that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Here in our passage, it is a story of a man, a servant, who owes a large debt. If you look in verse 24 of Matthew 18, it says that a king wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. In verse 24, he began the settlement, and a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents was a large sum. A single talent was about 75 pounds. A single talent was worth about $600,000 in our currency. 10,000 talents was about $6 billion with a B, as in boy. Why would Jesus tell this parable of a man who owed $6 billion? His point is that you owe a massive debt because of your sin. You can never repay it. The point is that we all owe, because of our sin, a massive debt to God that we could never, ever, ever repay. You need forgiveness. Also in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, before Pentecost, Peter preaches a sermon. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He would again preach in the next chapter, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. It's clear from the New Testament, from the Old Testament, from our passage, that you need to be cleansed of sin. The New Testament community also practiced what they preached. They found a way 
to welcome a man named Saul into their community who had murdered some of the followers of Jesus. The New Testament community practiced what they preached. The Heidelberg Catechism, which we just read, is a, tells us that we should pray to the Lord not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions or the depravity that is always a part of us. Martin Luther, his very first theses of the 95 theses, his first thesis, was that all of life is repentance. He would practice that. His very last words were, we are beggars, this is true. Augustine, he would pray as he was dying, he would pray the penitential psalms, the psalms of confession. Anyone who has spent any amount of time, a significant amount of time, or even a little amount of time, ought to come to the conclusion that the Bible's teaching is that you need to be forgiven. You may have come this morning thinking that the Bible has no relevance to you. But I guarantee you that in your life, there will come a day when you need to forgive someone for something. In that day, it really matters what you believe about your own sin. Have you repented of sin? That's the first step toward giving forgiveness to other people. So first, you need to be forgiven. Second, how can you extend it to other people? How can you forgive? In our parable, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's not the parable of the forgiving servant. It's a story of a man who has forgiven a $6 billion debt, a massive debt, yet internally he remains unchanged. It's a warning to you and I. The end of the parable, verse 35, it says that this is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive from your heart. Jesus' point in telling this parable is that if you don't forgive the smaller debts that people owe you, then it shows that you haven't internally understood the gospel. It shows that you internally have not experienced the grace of God in your own life. How big is a hundred denarii? The unforgiving servant goes out after he's just been forgiven a six billion dollar debt. Then in verse 28, it says that that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me. Twelve thousand dollars. A hundred denarii is about $12,000. It's a large debt, but it's nothing in comparison to the $6 billion debt that he had just been forgiven. Jesus' point is that you owe a much larger debt to God. And if you don't forgive the smaller debts that people owe you, it's evidence of a heart that's really not been changed by the gospel. It's evidence potentially that you have not asked the Lord to forgive all of your sin. And maybe you don't even know how sinful you really are. 
you must forgive the same amount that God has forgiven you. Do you remember in Luke chapter 7 when the sinful woman, whose sins are evident to everyone in the community, comes to Jesus, she weeps at his feet, she anoints his feet with ointment, she dries his feet with her hair. She says, excuse me, Jesus says this about that woman. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. If you have been forgiven much, then you love much. If you've been forgiven little, you love little. The point is the same as here in our passage. Unless your heart has been changed by the gospel, you will not show people grace because you don't believe that God has given you grace. Your love towards other people will be small because you think that the love of God towards you is pretty small. You think that you haven't really been forgiven that much, and therefore you shouldn't have to forgive very, very much to other people. Your repentance of your own sin is connected to the forgiveness that you extend to other people. How do you forgive? There are two steps here in our passage that are essential. The first step, I would have you turn to verse 24. It says that as the master of the house began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. Now, the implication is that the debt was obvious. It was obvious to the master of the house. It was obvious to the servant. So the first step in extending forgiveness to others you have to identify the sin. It's a misconception that people have about forgiveness that you don't name the sin, but actually you do. Earlier in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it says that if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You do name the sin if it is continuing as a barrier. If you are bitter or angry, you do name the sin, what is wrong. But secondly, that's the first thing you do, name name the wrong truthfully. But secondly, in verse 27, what does the master of the house do? Verse 27, it says that the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He took pity on him. The first step when you name the sin might lead you to treat the other person as inferior. You might think, well, they sinned against me, therefore they should come groveling to me because I'm up here and they are down there. But the second step is that you are to take pity on them. They are a fellow sinner. The second step is that you are to see the sin in them in some ways as a reflection of your own sin. You too are sinful and need to be forgiven. Therefore, the gospel puts us all on the same playing field. We all owe a smaller, excuse me, we all owe a smaller debt to each other than we owe to God. We look at the $12,000 debt that 
someone owes us and we say, you know what? We both owe $6 billion debt that we could never repay to God. Therefore, I'm really not all that different than you. I, too, need to be forgiven of my sins just as you need to be forgiven of your sins. There are a number of misconceptions about forgiveness I would like to address. First, forgiveness is not excusing. Excusing says, you're really not at fault. What you did really wasn't wrong. I don't hold you responsible. It really wasn't that big of a deal. But forgiveness says, no, you are wrong. This what You are at fault. But I'm taking pity pity on you. And I'm canceling the debt. I'm paying the debt myself. Forgiveness is not the same as excusing. Forgiveness also is not easy or natural. Revenge is easy and natural. Many people today live in other parts of the world where vengeance is normal. In Islam or some forms of Islam, death to the infidel is the battle cry. Forgiveness is not natural. It's not easy. It's not meant to be easy. Another misconception is that reconciliation is always possible. With God, all things are possible. But we're talking about at least two different people. You may have been sinned against. You may confess your own sins in your own life. You may repent of them. You may extend internally forgiveness and externally forgiveness to the other person. But that person may still be living in sin. That person may still be harming other people. In which case, reconciliation may not be possible. As far as it depends on you, you are to live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. That does not excuse you from not forgiving. You must forgive but they may not seek repentance in their own life. Another misconception is that forgiveness means not seeking justice. This parable ends with the master of the house seeking justice in verse 33. One modern-day example of a woman who sought justice and forgiveness at the same time would be Rachel Den Hollander, who was one of the people who was abused by a doctor. She was a gymnast, and the doctor abused many people. She was one on the the USA Gymnastics team. At his trial, Rachel Den Hollander said this, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt in order that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Rachel Den Hollander was one of those who saw the need to forgive in her own heart, but also knew that justice needed to be done as well. Justice and forgiveness are not always opposed to one another. Finally, one misconce- another misconception is that things will get better if you do nothing. You may become angry, you may become self-pitying, you may even use the harm that has been done to you as an excuse 
to go on sinning yourself if you do nothing. If you do nothing, it might be that the harm done to you becomes a kind of prison of anger which you are happy to live in. But real forgiveness from the gospel is a form of release for yourself as well as for the perpetrator. It's not just that we are called to forgive, it's that you need to forgive in order to have peace in your own heart, in order not to be an angry, spiteful, bitter person because of what has been done to you. I would like to share a story of a woman who found it in her somehow found a way to forgive. Corey Tin Boom was a prisoner at Ravensbrook. Many years after she was released, she had this exchange with a former SS officer. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. Suddenly, it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. I, who spoke so often to the people about the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so I again breathed the silent prayer, Lord, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. I discovered that it is not our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on Christ's. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Where did the master of the house in our passage find it within himself to forgive? Where did Joseph find it within himself to forgive his brothers? Where did the Christian community of the New Testament find it within themselves to forgive Saul, the murderer? Where did Elizabeth Elliot find it within herself to forgive the people who murdered her husband? Where did Corey Ten Boom find it within herself to forgive? The answer is that they found it not within themselves, but they found it by looking to the cross to Jesus Christ himself, crucified for them, for their sins, 
They were looking at the $6 billion debt that they owed God and put everything else in proportion to that. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he went there as the greatest act of forgiveness that the world has ever known. Do you know your need to be forgiven? Do you know the depth, the amount, the depth of your own sin? Are you able to see Jesus Christ crucified, not just for other people, but for you? If you are unable to do so, then you will be unable to forgive other people. How do you forgive other people? You do not do it by looking within yourself. You do it by looking at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ forgave you the depth, the great mountain of sin, that great payment, that $6 billion debt that you owe to God. Because of his blood, on the cross, you can be forgiven and you can be assured that you will enter into eternal life. Are you able then to put in context other people's sins against you? The smaller sins, the sins that may seem so great, but in the end are really nothing in comparison to what you've been forgiven. May you find the forgiveness of sins that you need to give to other people by looking at Jesus Christ crucified and raised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we confess before you that the sins of other people against us seem so large The sins of other people against us often create within us self-pity, anger, resentment, hatred, vengeance towards our enemies. The sins of other people against us seem so large. But we pray that you would give us the grace to comprehend how great the love of God is for us. Also, how great our sins are before you. Help us to put on the spectacles of the gospel that we would see that the mountain of sin before you, it really pales in comparison to the smaller sins against us. I pray that we would not be like the unforgiving servant. I pray that we would not leave the church, that we would not leave reading your gospel unchanged, internally still bitter and angry at those who owe us something. But we pray that you would release us from the anger and the resentment and the self-pity because of other people's sins against us. May that release that you have given to us because of the forgiveness of our sins, may that release Provide the love that we need to extend to other people. May that release, coming in the form of the love of Jesus Christ, be extended to other people. 
May those people who have sinned against us not be held against, Lord, their sins be held against them. We do pray that you would help us to want their good, to desire the good of the other person, not their damnation, not their judgment, but we pray that we would, in our heart of hearts, not only not say things that are ill of them, not speak horribly of them, but we would desire that they too would experience the forgiveness of their sins as we have experienced the forgiveness of ours. We thank you for the great grace that you have given to us that covers our sins. We thank you for the assurance of your love that draws us to the throne of grace. May we find our comfort and assurance there. In Jesus' name, amen.